Welcome to this episode of Rise and Shine Radio. Good to have you listening. We are happy that you're here. I'm here with my co-host Dan Durbano and our fantastic guest, Tyler Lemko. Tyler is a writer, producer, and artist from Montreal. He's an original member of the YouTube series Epic Mealtime and has since worked as a contributing writer for websites such as Thrillist, Ask Men, Bro Bible, Munchies, Playboy, Thump, CBS, and more. He's also the host and creator of High with Ty, available on most streaming platforms, and continues to produce his own web content, and it's a lot of content. His work has been featured on the Huffington Post, MSN, TMZ, Tonight Show, BBC, BuzzFeed, and many others, and was a candidate in the 2017 Montreal mayoral race, where he narrowly finished in last place. Tyler, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. I remember being like, no, I couldn't have been more than like eight or nine, and I knew all the words to shook ones. And my brother, I have a, a brother who's five years older, and he would like bring his friends over, and it was like the party trick that like check out rap. this little kid. I would rap shook ones like word for word, start to finish. Damn. Yeah. And then you became a rapper. Yeah. Then years later, I started to rap. Yeah. Was that the first content creation you did? Was music? Um, probably writing. When writing I was first. in, when I was in CJEP, I started doing. I was probably around the same time when I started doing music is around when I started writing articles because I wanted to do I thought I was going to be a sports journalist. Really? Yeah. I have a degree in journalism from Concordia. Really? Like okay. I was a I was a writer until the YouTube shit took off and I was like, oh, maybe I'll do that instead. <laughs> you like is your life is like a tree branches of opportunities. Yeah. They, they don't go very far. There's just a lot of them. No, but you have a lot of them. So yeah, you thought you were going to be a sports writer. Yeah. And then you started writing and rapping at the same time yeah the rapping was like a fun hobby thing i don't think i ever had aspirations of like madison square garden right. but uh but you did shows yeah i did probably like at least a hundred shows you did a hundred shows yeah what was that like from day zero to the fun? end i mean like did you, your perception of yourself of people change no like uh, performing's really fun i've always really loved performing that's why i, st I started recently another one i started recently doing stand-up right just because i miss being on a stage right i i did music in like 2008 2009 2010 and then the youtube stuff took over and i started writing more and i started doing more like digital content and it's been like a decade since i've gotten that immediate gratification from an audience being right in front of them because i know how to make something and put it on the internet and then you sit and wait right but it's very different being in front of people and getting a reaction so 2008 2009 how long were you rapping like the the years that you were doing shows those like probably three four years three four years yeah. about a hundred shows yeah. you were on stage alone with other people collaborations usually alone usually alone. yeah i was i love performing i would do like uh i had like fun performing tricks where i would like wrap the mic cord around my neck and try and choke myself so that like i didn't have enough oxygen to perform like to actually speak properly uh, that was a fun one uh, I would lie down a lot. Something about lying on my back, staring at a ceiling, and forgetting about all the people watching is very fun. Those, uh, <laughs> there was, they hyped the crowd up. 
Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> my favorite one is like if if a chorus is happening and I know my verse is like about to start, mm. I'll toss the mic like a grenade and then have to like jump on it just in time and like wrap into the floor. <laughs> wow. I've never seen any of that before. You came up with those. I have no idea. You're just being creative. There's a lot of booze <laughs> involved, so I don't know where those came from. Question for you. Yeah. Would you go back to music ever in your life? Now that you've done it, you have experience as a comedian, new inspirations, new stories. Do you go back or do you put it behind you? Yeah, I, I would go back if I had the time for it. I just It's a time thing. And also, the reason I stopped is because I found this was 10 years ago. Mm. I grew up such a rap fan that I became very good at just emulating what I've heard before. And I could write, I could write 200 songs mm. about like fucking guns and violence and bitches and shit I, that isn't my life. Mm. Uh, and I found like after a couple of years of doing it, I was like, I'm a very good imposter, but I'm not, I'm, this isn't an artist, you know, like I'm not right. creating something that's true to me. Right. So I think I would, to answer that question, I would go back to it knowing who I am now, being able to like mm. add some sensibility, some humor, make it silly. I, I would do it very differently now. I feel, uh, I feel the same way in a way with music as well. Like when I was at a certain part in my life doing music when I was like 21, 22, it's a lot different than today where it's like back then it was kind of like, what do I do to fit a certain mold to please mm. a certain demographic of people? And today it's kind of like, what do I feel like creating? I'm just someone who, when someone says do this, I'm like, I have a better idea. I have another idea. <laughs> I'm going to give you not what you want, yeah. but something I think is cool. And we'll see what happens. I had that moment recently where I had, uh, cause I'll get these random clients sometimes just for writing opportunities. And someone reached out to me to write a commercial. Uh, I probably can't like say the name or anything, but it was for, uh, it was for an apple cider vinegar gummy. So it falls under the category of edible, it's not quite food and it's not quite uh, medical. Right. So it's like this weird gray area that you can't really be, you can't be too silly, mm. but you don't have to be 100% serious like in the pharmaceuticals and stuff. Um, and they wanted this like fun commercial, but they were very straightforward about like, it can't be, it, it should be fun, it can't be funny. Really? And they reached out to me to write a script. So I spent like two days racking my brain trying to write a script. And I wrote, I wrote like 15 versions that I hated and I didn't want to send to anyone. And then I was just like, you know what? They reached out to Tyler Lemko. I'm yeah. going to write a fucking funny script. Yeah. And if they don't use it, they don't use it. But like, that's what you'd hire me for. That's what I'm going to write. Did you send it through? Yeah, they didn't take it, but <laughs> whatever. So they... Obviously, they saw your stuff. They reached out. I think it was are. the production company saw it. But you were just like, this is this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. Yeah, like I sent in something I'm proud of. And that matters more than something that they might want. Right. No, I agree. Yeah. I agree. So, uh, so music and then take for the listeners, take us back. We were talking before we started the summer. Which summer was it? When the, when the epic mealtime story 2010. started? 2010. So you're cooking massive meals one summer and then you're just like, let's record it. Yeah, are you a West Islander? I grew up in Villa Sal okay. and now live in the West Island. Okay, so you know how boring it could get. Ridiculous. Yeah, so I growing up in the West Island, like, yeah. what are you gonna do but like hang out with your buddies and do some dumb shit? Right. Uh, and it was one of those summers we were very bored, and we were like, let's make these 
freaking like massive feasts. And we did, I think, like two or three of them. And then uh, someone had the idea, like, we should film one of these and put it on the internet. But nobody was putting, were people around you putting content on the internet? Were, were people consuming, people were consuming content on the internet? Yeah, we were, we were, like, our whole group was trying shit. Like, I had made a couple music ah. videos. Um, Harley, the guy with the beard, was doing, like, a, I think it was, like, a video game review channel that was getting, like, 100 views. Um, like a hundred, not a hundred thousand. Yeah. Like a hundred, like okay. we were all ma- putting out videos okay, and tr- okay. being creative and, and making stuff, but it was all falling on deaf ears right. okay. until we, uh, added the bacon. <laughs> until you added the, was the bacon, the catch, the bacon was part of the, I brand. think I, I often think about cause bacon like blew up as this like genre almost. It was. And I, I often think if, if we hit it at the perfect time and like rode the wave mm. or did we make the wave? You partially, I, I, from an outsider perspective, I think you were a very large part of making the yeah, wave. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I think you part, like, cause it was a part of, uh, the consciousness of, I think there's a, a the term is netizen, a, a internet citizen. Part of oh, the cool. internet consciousness at that point was Epic Mealtime. It was everywhere and it was dope and you look, look forward to every episode and bacon was a goddamn thing. Bacon was big and bacon and booze. You know, we got a. Originally, we're like known as like Bacon and Jack Daniels, but Jack yeah. Daniels only lasted like seven or eight months because yeah. th- then we started getting cease and desist letters from, from them. So we switched to Jameson because Jack Daniels didn't. People thought we were making money off them and that they were like paying us royalties and sponsorship like, stuff nah. and giving us free product. No, they told us we don't condone this overconsumption. Please stop using our product. Shit. Yeah. So they sent you a season to assist to your house or to your house or to your office. Yeah. Whatever. And Don't then we were like, let's anymore. drink Jameson. Did was Jamie happy? We never heard from them. Never, so they sure. were just like whatever. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> the CEO is probably like, Wow, this is great for business. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's you would think, buying now. You would think Jack Daniels would be into it, but I'm sure they're doing fine. <laughs> so the first video uh got an amazing amount of views and then you said, Let's do the second one. And how yeah. many people were you at that time? I think the the I the ide- the ideation of it uh, was pretty much me, Alex, Harley in my backyard to film it. Harley brought in his friend Sterling. Mm. Um, he had the equipment. He had the skills. Yeah, they had a, a great camera. Um, and then by like week two, their friend Amir had joined, and then Josh and Dave. It was by like week by week four, we were like the original uh, seven. That like started it together. Man, I had maybe I could find this if I watched the actual episodes because it's. Uh, I mean, if I watch them again, but what would you spend on on food and product per episode? I think our budget. We never we wanted to stay under five hundred unless it was like a special that we knew we would get like a dumb some like a full pig or something or like a or or like we've done episodes where it was like. Let's buy the Patron Gold just to pour it on top of the meal and sh- oh dumb shit like that. God. But yeah, it was usually around five hundred. How many, um, how many episodes did you do? How, how many years did it? Did you do it? I did three and a half years. Three and a half years. Yeah. One episode a week. Yeah. For three and a half years. Yeah. That's a lot of planning. Yeah. Some sometimes we we did a couple like weeks with an episode a day, um, a couple specials. I wrote them, so it was a lot of. Uh, did you feel sick at any point? Well, that's part of the reason I left is like creatively, there's only so many ways to yell bacon and I'm writing these scripts for like what everyone has to say. 
And I, I brought it up like, we got to evolve. We got to change. We got to do something different. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you stay the course. You stick with what works. And I was like, fuck, I can't. So there was a little bit of a yeah. creative. Yeah, I just, I, I just couldn't keep doing it. There's, there's only, there's a finite amount of scripts of those you can write. How, um, at one point, so I don't know what the economics of, of internet money making was back then. At what point was it really feasible for you guys to be doing it full time after a month, after a year? Um, yeah, probably pretty quickly because YouTube pays a CPM. Mm, cost per minute. Yeah, so they'll they'll pay like let's say it's like four or five bucks per thousand views. So if you're hitting like a couple million views a week, making a couple thousand bucks, mm. uh, and then we would get product integrations. We would sell merchandise by like month two, three. We were like really, you're going. Yeah. Did somebody move to the to the West Coast at one point. Was that a thing? Would you start recording in different cities? We did. Uh, like we were we were going out to LA quite a bit, and then we did get invitations to go out to LA or just fly out to LA and say we're, we're recording yeah, in LA now well that's kind of like the YouTube mecca that's where like most of the YouTubers are oh. and there was our eight like by that point we had agents and management and stuff and uh so we had gone out to LA a couple times and then we did I think we did a four-month stay and then we did a six-month stay a couple months later what what's going through your head at this point are you are you like this is normal. This is perfect for Tyler. This is everything I've ever wanted. Or are you riding the wave? What's going on? Overall, it was like such a crazy experience and really, really cool. There was one quick. You want a quick Please, story? All stories. So there was one time we got me, Harley, and Alex got flown out to do a video called uh, Jim Kana. Okay. Which is this guy Ken Block? He owns DC Shoes. Okay. Uh, and he's a stunt driver. And he does this video, one video every year of doing crazy like drifting and donuts and like crazy stunt driving. And it gets millions and millions of views. And this one particular year, one of the stunts he wanted to do was have us in a kitchen in like a closed set and just doing donuts around us. Wow. So he flew us to L.A., put us in like a nice hotel. And it was he flew us there for like three days. We shot on the first day. It all went well. It was super cool. And then the second and third day, we were like, all right, we're, we're in L.A. We got yeah. what to do. Let's hang out. Um, and our agent at the time was like really trying to pitch us to go to like make a TV show. He was like, you got to do TV. You got to pitch a TV show. We got he was really trying to convince us. Huh. Uh, and I think to kind of like fluff his feathers, he was like, you know what? Tomorrow uh, I'm going to hook you guys up with a car. Don't worry about Ubering around. Like, when you come downstairs in the morning, I'll have a car ready for you. Same day, Ken Block, who we who flew us out there, owns DC, was like, hey, tomorrow, if you guys have nothing to do, you should go by the DC store and, like, grab whatever you want. Holy and we're like, all okay. right, cool. So the next day we wake up, three of us go downstairs. This is 2012. So there's a 2013 Aston Martin no. waiting for us in the parking lot. <laughs> We get into our Aston Martin, go to the DC store, figuring like maybe we'll grab an item or two and he'll hook us up. They're like, yeah, yeah, grab whatever you want. So I was kind of reasonable about it. I took like maybe like 15, 20 items. Alex brought home like 40 pairs of shoes. Like oh my Alex and Harley both God. took like three grand worth of stuff. Oh my God. And we're, no, no, they were just like, take just whatever like, you want. Take it. So we're like cramming our free gear into our Aston Martin. <laughs> And then we're driving down Sunset, 
And uh, Alex goes, you know what? Now I get rap music. <laughs> and at one point I look at the guys and I was like, this is the most ridiculous scene. And I'm like, you guys realize tomorrow we're all going back to our parents' basements. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, like we were all living at home at the time. Everyone's doing different things now? Yeah. Um, I actually, Dave, I work with, uh, you, or do you know the, the YouTube channel Screen Rant? No, but does like movie, movie theories. Okay. I write the scripts and I do the voiceover and he like manages the channel. So I still kind of work with Dave. Uh, Alex Muscles Glasses is out in Vancouver crossfitting and veganing it up. Uh, Josh, the main chef, is out in LA with his own YouTube channel, like killing the food game. Really? Yeah. He's killing it. I don't know what Sterling's doing, actually. Last I heard he was doing gaming, which he was always super into, so... Hope that's working. What did you what did you do immediately after that? Was so, there like a Twilight Zone moment? Yeah, so I I quit on a whim. Okay. I, uh, I thought you were I, gonna say I quit on a Wednesday. No, <laughs> like I had no I had no fallback plan. I had uh, no so I kinda quit with this like, oh fuck, what now? I actually in the span of one week quit Epic Mealtime, broke up with my girlfriend and graduated university. What? So it was just like I guess new life. Real new. <laughs> so I did, you know, uh, went up north to St. Agath for three months and sat in a cabin. Figuring it out. Figuring it out. I, my my initial... A lot of weed or no weed? No weed at that point. I only started smoking weed like two years ago. Okay. Yeah. But uh, a lot of booze. A lot of booze. <laughs> but I figured like, you know, I I just did like one of like the most popular YouTube channels of all time. I got to do a YouTube channel. So I, I did a YouTube channel that did okay, but it wasn't mm-hmm. anything like sustainable that mm-hmm. was going to pay the bills. So after like five months, I uh, I dropped that and I started working uh, freelance, like consulting with different media companies. Okay. And that's sort of how I got my toes back into the content game. So which years are we talking about now? That's uh, probably like end of 2013, beginning of 2014. Okay. Yeah. And then, okay, we still got like five years of stuff to cover. <laughs> so what did you do? I mean, you still got a lot on your resume, man. What did you do between then and now? Okay, so I uh, helped a couple startups. Then I helped a couple startups. Yeah, like uh, all across the map, not like even media related. companies. Uh, media. So that was consulting. Yeah, a couple of them I had like positions with. Um, right. Even up until like last year, I was like a. <laughs> strangely enough, I was an executive with like a cannabis media company. Uh, so yeah. I do a lot of like helping people that want to do content properly. Okay. Uh, but I started writing again because that's okay. like what my degree is in. That's what I was always best at. So I started getting back into writing. And within a couple of months, I was like swamped. I was writing daily for Playboy. I was writing, so, yeah, I was writing Ask Men, Bro Bible, I'm Thrillist, like a, a National Lampoon. Munchies, Thump, yeah. CBS. So I did that for like two, three years of just cranking out articles do you have i'm very naive as to how it works do you have an agent is it all freelance or all reaching out to you yeah that was all freelance uh either referrals or me reaching out like yeah and then you're writing content for them all across the map content yeah like the playboy one i ran their entertainment blog so i wrote a lot of fucking uh this kardashian wore a bikini today (laughs) bullshit uh i'm still waiting on that pulitzer yeah, just, uh, I uh, I had a lot of weird, bad ideas that I would pitch and people would want to hear. It works? Yeah. I got, like, this work's been featured on Huffington Post, MSN, TN, TMZ, The Tonight Show, BBC, BuzzFeed, 
and many others. Yeah, a lot That's of others. That's all in this, in this time frame. Um, some's Epic Meal Time, some's articles. Uh, some are, uh, like, two years ago I ran for mayor. Yeah, can you that tell? That got a lot of can press. You, can you tell us about that stuff? Uh, there's not much to tell. It was just <laughs> like, I was at home one day and I was like, you know, it'd be funny. And then I did it. <laughs> um, my actual intention, funny enough, was I wanted to get, I wanted to declare for the, uh, for the race only to get to the debate so oh that, so that I could be on a, na- like a, it, not nationally, but like I could be on a televised, uh, political debate with actual politicians and when it gets to my introduction i would go oh i didn't know this was in french (laughs) and then i would leave and i would drop out of the race that was my plan but i never got invited to a debate so i saw the race to to the end (laughs) oh my god and you had so much coverage for for that you just wanted to sign yeah well that was first first i did i just wanted to sign then that got so much coverage that Two years later, I was like, it's another, it was the the mayoral election. That was federal, I think. Right. Uh, And then it was the mayoral election. I was like, let's see what happens if I actually go for it. And that like blew up. Yeah, I have. uh, I tried so hard to vote for you. (laughs) You didn't? I I, I wasn't able to. Oh, really? Oh, because I was in the writing. I was in the Uh, writing. I have, uh, I have the ballot framed above my toilet. (laughs) And what is wait? What does the ballot say? Like just all the candidates' names. Okay. And mine's on there. Really? Yeah. So it was. You really did sign up. Yeah, yeah. I had. I got like I think like five hundred signatures. I I did all kinds of like breakfast television and CBC and Jornal de Mariano. What did you say on those episodes? Yeah. <laughs> what did you Nonsense. say to these people? You just made it up each time. Did you have like a thesis? Yeah, like. Whenever someone would ask what my platform was, I would be like, you tell me, like, what do you want? Oh, my God. <laughs> my one thing was uh, Montreal had the pit bull ban. Yeah. Uh, so I was I was running on the basis that I would get rid of the ban against pit bulls, but that I would ban pit bull. <laughs> and <laughs> Mr. Worldwide's not allowed in this city. Did, was, did any of these jokes go right over the head of oh, some of these Most people, yeah. yeah. I remember doing breakfast television. You know Bernie Gerber? He owns the Dollar Cinema. He's like oh, 500 years old. Okay. He won't listen to this, so okay. I don't mind talking shit. <laughs> no, he's a super, super nice man, but he's okay. a thousand years old. Uh, and we're sitting on breakfast television, and it's live TV going out to like, I don't know what kind of viewership they get, but like Montrealers are watching mm-hmm. this at like seven in the morning and they have me and this old man on who was also running for mayor, but he's taking it like really seriously and, and he's like, talking about oh like uh, saving money on taxpayers and fixing the oh roads God. and this and that. And they're at, they ask him his, his policies and his platform and he goes on this rant that's like really planned and, and articulate and then it gets to me and they're like, Tyler, what, what are you running on? <laughs> And it took every ounce of power in my in my being. All I could think about was what would happen if on live TV I turned to this 80-year-old man and go, you know what, Bernie, suck my dick. <laughs> <laughs> what would the fallout be? <laughs> so I just mumbled something else and was like, ah, whatever you guys want. <laughs> oh just anything God. to get off air because I knew I was going to say that. <laughs> Oh my god. So he goes for on this massive rant, you mumble a few words and they cut to commercial. Yeah. Oh my 
Yeah. It was fun. The whole process was fun. People keep asking if I'll do the next one. And Would I'm always you? like, I wouldn't just do the same thing again, but if I come up with like an original way to do it. Does then... anyone know what's going on now? They they know that, you know, this is perhaps not a real run. <laughs> I don't know. I got like 1,500 votes. And I know that most of the people that I know didn't vote for me because they didn't want to throw away their vote and like rightfully so. So I got like strangers voted for me. Real strangers. They yeah. saw your stuff. They liked your stuff. I guess. Bad I don't know. Pitbull. I don't know. But yeah, it was fun. And that was before the new, the recent foray or newer foray into comedy, right? Yeah, that's like a couple months now. Yeah, it's been yeah. a couple months. Yeah. I feel like you've been a stand-up comic your whole life. No, I've been in comedy. I've been like right. a comedy writer for over a decade. Right. Uh, but I hadn't gotten up on a stage until July. Where did, where did you do your first show? I did my first show at a, my buddy Reese does a monthly called The Smoke Sesh. You've been to one of them. It was right? awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Where, uh, it's, it's like in a secret location because you don't want the police to know. And everyone in there is just baked. Um, <laughs> and it's a super fun show. I love doing it. It's challenging though because I, I'm not someone who smokes a lot. Mm. I'll take like a couple of puffs and I'm good. Mm. So being in a room like that for like three hours. Three hours, okay. By the, time I, by the time you get on stage, well, yeah, like an hour and a half. But by the time you get on stage, I did not remember what I wanted to say or what my like prepared material was. So it was kind of a rough go at the first time. How many people in the room? Uh, probably a good like 60. 60 people. Yeah. Dim lighting, comedy style. So yeah. On stage or your level with everyone? Uh, it's on, it's on a stage, but it's, it's like a glorified palette. Right. <laughs> Stand like on a, this palette. It's like a f- half a foot. <laughs> and then you, and then you're, now you're interacting with comics. You're. Yeah. You, now I'm like trying to get into the scene and, uh, like did. next week I'm doing, I mean, I'm sure this will come out later, but I'm doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday next week. New, uh, different spots every time. Yeah. The same. Okay. Yeah. Different spots. So Why it's not? like, it's picking up. Where are you going? Uh, Monday I'm doing Hurley's and probably McGibbons. Tuesday I'm doing Grumpy's and then another one near Place des Arts. I forget the name of the venue. Wednesday I'm doing Bar Villaray. Thursday I am doing... Shit, I forget. Friday's a bar on Sherbrooke West. Damn. What was Thursday? Anyways. Yeah, there, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of comedy in Montreal. Like it's a, every night there's tons of spots. It's a for comedy. You know, great. it's... It is and it isn't. For a place where, like, the biggest festival in the world is held here, the is comedy... It the biggest festival the biggest the comedy, biggest comedy festival? festival, okay. yeah. Uh, but the comedy scene here is actually not, like, that well-supported, really? I find. So places like Better Cities, New York, L.A., much better. Yeah, yeah, big time. Okay. There, I, li- I really like the community here. Like, I've, I've gotten to know a lot of the people, and you see a lot of the same faces when you go do these shows. Um, and it's a great crowd, but yeah, in terms of like, as a scene, the average, like if you go to just like a mic, the average audience is like under 10 people. Yeah. I feel like this is a great place. Sorry. This, this is a great place to like develop a craft and produce, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and live well, and then just debt, like, you know, market your material or your product to, Mm -hmm a region like LA hmm. or wherever, you know, yeah. New York and, and, you know, try and get like satellite 
uh, situation happening where you work for Montreal and you just travel yeah. to where you need to go to do it. I know a lot of guys who, like a lot of guys start out doing it that way and then eventually end up just moving to the location because right. they're always there. Right? Mm. The tricky part with that is like, the, the tricky thing about stand-up that I'm coming to realize is, mm. is it's less about how good you are and it's more about how many people you bring out. Mm. So there's like phenomenal comics that won't achieve much just because like no one's going to book them. No agent wants them. Like there's no following, even though they're remarkable, like they're incredible. Uh, just nothing will happen because they don't have that following. Right. And then on the flip side, there's like guys who aren't that good, who just like have a lot of people come out and they'll make it. What, what are the ones, what are they missing? They're not, not a following online or in person, not the right content, not the right marketing. I don't know. Like it's just, it's a weird thing where like, I guess music's similar though, right? Like where being good is 20% of success and it's managing yourself like a, like an entity, like you're a business. That's the way to make it. How was I going to say? Um, I did, uh, I did three stand up shows, uh, four or five years ago. How'd you find it? great i thought i had to rewrite my whole act every time yeah so uh did you rewrite your whole act every time from the beginning i didn't know that you're supposed to keep the same act yeah i i get what you're saying yeah i feel bad especially when you go to these mics and there's not much audience and the only people there are the comics who have seen you before yeah. and you're just doing it again yeah um yeah i i've very rarely redone the same thing the whole set you do a whole new set every time? Sometimes, or I, I tend to, recently what I've gotten into is I do one-liners okay. rather than like a whole hashed out like three-minute bit. Right. Okay, I'll okay. just do like 30, 40 one-liners and then go up with like a list of what I'm going to do. So I, I switch up the sets every time I do it, knowing like, okay, I just did those ones. Let me try some different ones. Mm. And now I'm sort of in the process of figuring out like, okay, this one's getting a laugh. Let me keep that one yeah. in. This one's not doing so well. Let me scrap that one. And I'm sort of like uh, messing with the algorithm of my set now. And then you b develop some com community camaraderie with the fellow comics, right? Yeah, yeah, they're great. You yeah. see them, you see them at similar shows and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool community here. Hmm. It's Do comics have agents? A lot, like the good ones. The ones. Yeah, not many here. <laughs> do. <laughs> not that they're not good, but that's what I mean. Is like. If you move out to LA and do five shows a week, like you have a much better odds mm. of someone representing you. Would would you move slash could you move? You know, I've I I've been almost moving to LA for like four or five years now. Shit. Yeah, I guess. because yeah. uh, I'm there like probably four or five months a year. Still. Yeah. For a, a range of things. Yeah, like uh, I pitch shows, I host things, I like. M most of my social life is there. That's like, really, yeah. LA is like where I go to be a person, and then I come back to Montreal, like put my head down and work. Okay. Um, I just don't. There's a couple reasons I don't dive in fully. Okay. First of all, like I don't want to live in America full time. Yeah. It's just a bad. It's a reason. It's yeah. a bad time. Yeah. Uh, and Montreal is dope. It okay. just gets cold, so I'll go it's when it's cold. cold. Yeah. But yeah. There's also this weird, like, I'm very grateful to be a Montrealer. I'm also grateful that when I do go to L.A., which is frequently, I'm still in town. So, like, people will make time. People will see me, like, ah, okay, okay. rather, if I live there, I just, like, 
no one would care. I'm, I'm there, you know? So I like being the out-of-towner that comes in and everyone's like, oh, cool, Tyler's in town, which hopefully that doesn't wear off. <laughs> um, and yeah, I find I'm grateful to be Canadian because like I appreciate my life more. And I find there's this, it's not everyone there, but there is this LA aura of okay. like, when I make it and when I'm famous and then I could be happy and then I could do this yeah. and I got to chase the followers and I got to get the clout and I got to get a selfie with so-and-so cause they're famous. And like, everyone's just mm -hmm. chasing fame, mm -hmm. uh, which I really just don't vibrate so with. So you perceive that you can perceive that in people, the way they act, the way they speak, yeah. the way they it's interact. The, the general vibe of Los Angeles in comedy and music in everything in the entertainment sector is very, uh, they're big on chasing the clout, which I, I could not care less about. <laughs> that sounds as long uh, as I could pay my bills and do dumb shit that I enjoy. That's all that matters. Like I don't care yeah. about the size or, or reach of it. <laughs> sounds like a peaceful way of, of, of approaching it. Yeah. Is LA fun? Sounds fun. Yeah. It's, it's fun. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. It's yeah. It's great. It's good. Yeah. I love it. I, I like go. it. It's chill. Like I've been a lot of places. I, I like, I can't do New York. No, I get anxiety. Vibes. It's too, too much. There's too much happening. Everyone's in a hurry. No one's chill. <sighs> LA, you know, there's palm trees. It's spread out. It's nice. I like it. Hmm. The hell is I going to ask you about comedy? Uh, oh yeah. What do you, what do you do during the day? Is it all, is it, is it contract work? Is it consulting? How do you spend your time during the day? Um, I, I've always got like a, I've always got a full plate of a bunch of things currently it, it's it changes like monthly pretty much currently i'm doing the screen rant gig uh where i write the scripts and i do the voiceovers um that's like part time but it's it's time consuming and it's like uh mentally very uh demanding just because like it's creative work all day um I also do, I recently just started doing scripts for a buddy of mine owns a really, really cool production studio. Like a, he does animation uh, and he does this new show called uh, Bird News Now, which is like a satire news show hosted by a, an animated bird. So I've been writing those scripts and then uh, doing a lot of stand up, doing uh I've got like a bunch of projects that I've got in the works. I'm developing a board game. I'm developing a doc. Nice. I've got a those do things. Yeah, like a documentary. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, I was so like, I've, a Microsoft Word doc? <laughs> no, like a doctor. I'm <laughs> developing one. Uh, um, yeah, I've got a lot of projects. But honestly, what I'm trying to focus on right now for yeah. the first time in a decade is how to not do stuff because mm. I've never done that. And no joke, two weeks ago, because I'm the type of guy, I'll wake up at like, Probably eight eight thirty every day. I start work at nine. I work from home. Okay, and then I'll sit at my desk from nine until usually around one or two a.m. A.m. Yeah, <laughs> I'll take a break to eat and I'll take a break to go to the gym. Right. But I don't have like a social life. I don't go out. I don't do things. Okay. I sit at home and I work nonstop. Right. right. So about two weeks ago, I switched that up and I was like, you know what? Even though I work freelance, I'm gonna treat it like a job. I'm going to clock in and at six o'clock I'm going to clock out yeah. and I'm going to close my computer. I could still maybe be productive on my phone or laptop in front of the TV, whatever, but I'm going to actually stop. I'm going to leave the office at six. Right. Um, and I've noticed What's two things. Like? Yeah. One, I'm getting everything done. 
which otherwise was taking me till 2 a.m. So, like, when I'm not procrastinating and taking my time, I actually get shit done, which yeah. is wild. Yeah. <laughs> a script that would take me three hours takes me 45 minutes if I concentrate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then two, now that I have free time for the first time ever, mm. like, last week was a weird week where six o'clock strikes and I close my computer and I'm like shit what do people do with time what, what so now? I made like three videos like four paintings I wrote a bunch of articles I wrote too. a bunch of stand-up yeah I did like so much producing of stuff just because I suddenly had time on my hands that now this week is like phase two of the process where I'm like yo stop needing to produce and right. be productive and just like watch a movie like watch tv and Smoke a joint, relax. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. I find it very difficult. It's very. a, it's probably a journey. I think I, I sometimes, I think I'm gonna try taking a page more out of that book. I sometimes feel a similar way, because it's a very good habit to create. It's, it becomes bad when it's too much creation and not an, not enough. Uh, I don't know what the term is, but there has to be some time. Like downtime. Downtime, satisfaction, yeah, enjoyment, stuff like that. Because you can't have zero creation, too. Some people have all downtime and there's no creation. The issue is I find because I work freelance my whole life and I've always got clients and I've always got paid opportunities, I'm someone who, in my head, like hours equals dollars. So if I'm awake, Mm. I better be earning. Right. Yeah. Do you have a pre-creative work routine? Or do you just... Get out of bed and type or write. Um, I usually meditate. I usually nice. I meditate when I wake up and before I go to bed. Do you, I'll do, do like you, fifteen do you use minutes. Use anything? Just breathing on your own. Sometimes just breathing. Sometimes I'll uh, I'll YouTube like meditation YouTube app. ten minute meditation for uh, relaxation or for mm-hmm. sleep or for uh, a specific chakra or something. Right. Like I'll just whatever I'm feeling. I'm. I'll mention this because I use it every day, and this is not a sponsored uh, thing. But, but if they want, if they want, yeah, <laughs> it's. Uh, it's seven bucks a month, and it is uh, a company that uses artificial intelligence to put you into specific brain states. Hmm. Listen to it all day, man, for focus, for meditation, for creativity. One frequency in this year, different frequency in the other. Your, your brain makes up the difference, which corresponds to a different uh, state of focus. What's it called? Brain.fm. Interesting. I'll try Very that cool. out. I keep telling my colleagues to do it. Everyone's like, yeah, right, John, you're psycho. I like, <laughs> I, this is uh, an addition to caffeine. It's crazy how valuable that kind of stuff is. And the majority of people are so stubborn. Yeah. They're just like, oh, that's mumbo jumbo nonsense. But like, like, you know, this shit works. I always tell, like, I preach meditation so much. It's helped me so, so much. And every time, everybody who I know that I've like told about it, Mm. they're all like, yeah, yeah, I tried for like three, four days and I didn't find a difference. I stopped. Or like I tell my mom can't sleep and I always tell her like, you should meditate daily. And she's like, no, I've tried meditating when I can't sleep and it doesn't help me fall asleep. (laughs) Like, no, that's not how it works. You have to do this and then you get the benefits. Yeah. It's, yeah. People are so used to like a quick fix. Yeah. It's not medicine. No. (laughs) You meditate then? A lot. Yeah. yeah, and I feel like it's like people are always. When I, and the last time I told my brother about my experience that I had, where I was, I had nothing to do on a Saturday afternoon, and I had ideas of what I could do, and then I sat there and realized that like 
why do I always, much like you guys, get into a position where need I have to, to do need to mm. fill it up, need yeah. to fill up time with like activities to make myself feel a certain significance while alive, mm. in whatever form that means for me, based on the experiences I've had in my life. Mm. At that moment, I just made the conscious decision to be like, why don't I just spend the rest of this afternoon being with myself here yeah. right now and just trying to like appreciate the very essence of being alive. And I literally like s sat down at like one to meditate and didn't get up until like five o'clock <laughs> when Val walked in the door and she's like, were you there since I left? And I was like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like an unbelievable experience. Yeah. Four hours. Yeah, and I had been meditating for years before that and every day, like an hour and sometimes when I had time, two hours. So then to see, like, I'm going to do this for the entire afternoon, my evening was just awesome. You know, like everything I was coming in contact with, it was mm. just purely for the purity. And then I got mm. into studio and I started writing music and it was like, to me, the most beautiful song I ever wrote. Mm. And I haven't even recorded that. I haven't put it out to the public because I felt such a strong connection to that song. Right. It's like, it's my secret to me. I like yeah. that. You know what I mean? Because like, I find like you were saying, everyone's just trying to become famous. Everyone is, tr I'm just trying to see who I am. Yeah. Mm. Make, and make something you love. Yeah. I had that with, I think I told you about the, the book I wrote. Mm. I wrote like, it's not a full, full book, but it's like a 50 page book. Okay. Uh, that's like probably the thing I've made that I like the most. Really? And I, I didn't put it out, didn't do anything with it because it meant more to not. Wow. You keep it for yourself. Yeah, I send it to a couple friends. Like if anyone wants to read it, they can hit me up and I'll send it. But right. I'm not like promoting it or anything. Wow. That one was yeah. content just for you. It's yeah. rather creativity just for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, like what you were saying, I do this thing that I find... I don't think you would need it, but people do. Uh, where I do every second week, no screens. I do one day, Amazing. one day every second week, no phone, no computer, no TV. And Jesus. there's something, there's something so like, uh, what's the right word? Just like not even motivating, but just like wakes you up. Like when you wake up in the morning, don't immediately check your phone and see your messages and who you have to respond to and what you have to do. You wake up in the morning. You get out of bed and then you get to choose. When's the last time you woke up and got to choose what happens now? No one gets that and it's so valuable. And what I did, the last one I did was like a week ago and I got up and I was like, what do I do now? I could work out, I could paint, I could like clean my place, I could do a number of things. And I was like, you know what I'm gonna do? Nothing. Work. No, <laughs> work. I'm gonna open the laptop. No, I, uh, I did nothing. And there's a difference between nothing and meditation, I think, because meditation is clearing your mind mm. and trying to like not think about anything. Mm. Whereas on the flip side, I think there's something equally valuable to letting your mind off the leash. Mm. Just being like, hey, yeah, go ahead. Think whatever you want to think. Let it go where you want to go. And I sat on my couch in silence with just a notepad and a pen. And I sat there for seven hours. Oh, my God. And I came out with some incredible ideas. I came up with stand-up material. I came up with this doc I'm working on. I came up with like personal things about myself I want to work on and improve. And I wrote like 25 pages in this book. Seven hours. <laughs> yeah. Just, just looking. Someone, my mom was like, what did you do all day? I was like, I sat 
Sand did what? I just I sat down. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> the extent of my day was I sat down. What? Uh, tell us about painting. When did you start painting? I started painting just over like a, uh, I think two weeks ago was my one year anniversary of painting. Nice. Which, funny enough, I started doing therapeutically mm. because, like I said, I work these like 12, 15 hour creative days that are like mentally strenuous. Right. So I, th I figured like before I go to bed, when I clock out at night, I'm going to paint for an hour. I'm going to, there's something about like just paint on a canvas with a mm. brush. Like it's a nice feeling. It's not for anyone. I'm just going to do this for me. Mm. Uh, and then I put one on Instagram and someone was like, Oh, how do I buy that? Dope. Dope. So I made a store. And, oh, and uh, like Shopify store. Yeah, I made a Shopify store, and uh, within the year, I've sold like over fifty paintings. Fifty. Yeah. 50 unique paintings. Yeah, but I wow. stopped for a couple months because I started thinking like, okay, what's gonna sell? What do people like? What's gonna work? And like I started that. having that mentality, and I was like, this defeats the purpose of what this is supposed to be. Right. This is for me, and it just so happens to be selling. So I didn't paint for like four or five months, and now I'm back in it. I'm curious from the business side of this too. I've got a business background. So did you, you threw it up? Did you throw any ad dollars to, towards the site? No, I'm fortunate to have a social following you have though. A good, you have a good following. So I just put it on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and it started to snowball a little bit. People started buying the paintings. Yeah. Man, I want to see your paintings. Afterwards. They're not good. They're I, I, I happen to paint too and mine are absolute garbage. I hate every single <laughs> Oh, I love mine. Oh, really? They're just bad. So you love them, but they're bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think... Mine are garbage, but my mom is happy that I do. Yours are probably really good, <laughs> and and you're hard on yourself. I, I mean, thank you for the comment, <laughs> but yeah. Cool. So now you started painting again Sorry to therapeutically. Interrupt, but your paintings are really nice. Yeah, I would assume they're great. Thanks, Dan. I, I don't think you give yourself enough credit. Thank you. Mine Yours are, are super. No, not good. Yours are super <laughs> funny. You know why I love it? You know, but you know why I love his painting so much? It's because he gets to he gets you to the message. And it's not necessarily about <laughs> look at the color scheme I used or the type of you know it's just kind of like here's like this kind of stuff suck my duck. Let me see. <laughs> I see why people buy this. Can I see? Because I haven't seen I've this. Auto correcting to duck. Okay, but that's right? actually really really nice. Though. Yeah, it's a nice duck, right? It's a mallard. So, but wait, you I saw the like, duck too. Yeah, I saw different ones though. <laughs> I saw your duck. first ones that came out. They weren't as nice as this one. Oh no, there's some bad ones. Like maybe I'm not. I did one. At my entire... favorite one. It sold though. What sucks is like my best ones are now not in my home. People mm. have them. Mm. Like the top. Like I have a whole. I have probably like forty of them in my place. But like the first fifty are gone that I loved. Mm. Uh, but I think my first one was uh, I painted Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh my god! And over it in Sharpie, I just wrote, "Is there such thing as bad art?" <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> did someone buy it? Yeah. So you don't have that one anymore. No. Uh, do you want to let people know where to go to look at? Uh, the yeah, drlemco.myshopify.com, I think. Drlemco.myshopify.com. Yeah. We'll put it in the show notes. Or drlemco42 on Instagram. Drlemco42. Dr. Do you guys want to take a break? Let's take a let's take a break. Let's sure. Take a break. Yeah. yeah. 
So an Irish guy is walking down the street and he keeps dropping a $5 bill out of his pocket. There's like a hole in his pocket and it keeps falling to the ground. And behind him, a, a Jewish boy is like following him and he keeps picking it up and giving it back to him. You know this one? Yeah, it didn't happen. <laughs> I was like metamorphosis. Good twist. I like uh, it. Can I get some berries? Yo, these are the best grapes. All right. Jewish, Jewish kid asks his dad for $200. His dad says, $100? What do you need $50 for? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Packing a lot of entertainment. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about this just in general. Because I think the last time we got together and had lunch at that uh, Uni Burger. Great burger. Mm. Was that what it was? Oh, no, yeah. it was Deli's Burger. No, it was Uni Burger. Or Delilah Burger. No, it was Uni Burger. Uni Burger. Really good. Yeah. Good stuff. And they do a Beyond one. It's Beyond double, Meat Burger. The double... Yeah. Patty Beyond Meat Burger Oof. is mm. worth the extra whatever, how many cents they charge you for the yeah, extra patty. I think three bucks a patty. But it's worth it. Man, so good. Delicious. We were talking about we were talking about life and stuff and I wanted to know purpose. Like to me, humans are so driven by purpose to achieve and to do and to be and to have a reason to be on this earth. Why can't the purpose just be to live? Yeah, I think that's a good one. I think we like to we like to feel more important than that. You know? Like we if it's just to live, mm. then you already can check it off. Then we're done. Mm. What's the point? You know? It's got to we're always seeking to achieve more and greater, bigger so if the goal, if you already won the race at the at the start line, there's not much of a race. Do you feel like a big part of that, you know, race has to do a bit, a bit about, you know, discovery and always wanting to discover something about the world and yourself? Yeah, for sure. I, I about two years ago got like super addicted to self-improvement. Mm. That I was always just going through life and trying to have fun and like a happy person, but never really working on myself. And that's become like my my existence has become that is just like working on being mm. the best version of me and experiencing and just it's it's a never ending game that's super fun. So so here's where I completely agree with you, and I can't really say I disagree with you on any of your points, but I think where I agree and where I think you really hit home is the idea of being like the best version of yourself. And I feel like a lot of us as people we're, we're, we're given an opportunity to have a life. We're given this body and it's like, we're not given a manual, you know? And, and this is an extremely powerful. Who's machine. a manual. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody ever gives you a manual. <laughs> That elusive bastard. He pronounces it Manuel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can never catch me. Um, we don't really, we don't really have a guide on how to use this. Yeah, there's no life Sherpa. There's no life Sherpa, man. So it's like, I feel that just like any other creature on this planet, like a grasshopper is, is growing to be a full-fledged grasshopper. A lion's looking to become a full-fledged lion. We're just looking to be a full-fledged human. And whatever that means for you, whatever that means yeah. to me. And I kind of like self-improvement for me has been about meditating and discovering that the mind is literally something that is consistently interacting with the external. 
And when you realize that that is a completely normal and natural thing, you start to be able to see your thoughts instead of experience them. And be then more when, present in yeah, it. And yeah. And so once you start seeing your thoughts and not just experience them because you're experiencing what the external is mm-hmm. giving you, you're able to start channeling your experience through this external world in a different way, which makes you yeah. experience life in a different way. And to build on that, we, we are so programmable. And I've recently gotten into the practice of really trying to be conscious of everything. Like even decisions I make, I now contemplate like, okay, why did I say that or choose that or do that? What was it about my life experience or something that I've, what input happened in the 31 years I've been here that now I did that? Like I've, I've been trying to really deconstruct the wiring in the back, you know? Try to understand why you do certain things, Yeah, you know? I feel that's kind of like what I've been searching for in myself is like, why do I think that way? So I have a story for you. (laughs) I, uh, this was like two years ago. I did a whole bunch of mushrooms as most of these stories begin. Of course. Um, I was at a buddy's country house, gorgeous place, like on the water with a pool and just like lake and mountains. Uh, and we were a couple of people, and they were all like inside partying and drinking, playing beer pong and stuff. And I was on a very different vibe. So I'm like, I'm going to go into the woods and talk to the trees for a bit. The trees always trip yeah. me out on shrooms. Oh, yeah. You see faces, talk to the ancient monkey faces. Yeah. Uh, anyways, I spent like a good hour in the, in the forest, had some great conversations. And then I make my way back to the house. And I hear like all the ruckus and commotion going on inside. And I was like, I'm not ready for that. And something told me, get in the pool. So fully clothed, I just walk right into the pool and I walk into the like towards the deep end. I'm floating there just like staring up at the sky and it's just lake, mountain sky. No one's around for miles, like pure silence other than the people in the house. Um, And then a face appeared in the sky. Get out of here. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not a religious person, but uh, the face was definitely the depiction of what you would expect a face in the clouds to look like, you know, old white man with a beard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I asked it out loud. I said, why do I feel the need to do what I do? Why am I like a kid on a diving board? That's just shouting for his mom's attention. Why do I need people to look at me? And the face said, "Uh, what else are you going to do? And then out loud, I said, is it really that simple? And the face said, you can either stress about it or you can go inside and make a sandwich. And then I dried off and I made avocado toast and I haven't second guessed myself since. Wow. <laughs> I kind of feel like that's that's really what life is, right? Like What else are you going to do, you know? But, what else are you Just do, do what you're what you're here to do. Just but do, do what you're here right? to do. And, just and do. I think that's it. Like just just do and I think that's what it's all about. Just take action and you know like and we get so bogged down in like mm. paying bills and dating and social media and what's on TV and what people are thinking and opinions and mm. all of this like it's just clouds that don't help that uh, const- uh, obstruct your vision. Mm. When when all of that dissipates and goes away, you're just left with like yourself, and that's all that matters. Mm. Just do you. Yeah, and, and that's why I find meditation is is so beneficial because when you sit there. 
like there are days where I'm sitting down and meditating and in my mind I'm I'm envisioning a song being created hmm. and I'm thinking of it. Then there's days where I'm sitting down and I'm thinking about mm, kind of like ooh, if I like do this in my pizza dough recipe it might taste this way. While you're meditating. It, while I'm meditating yeah. and then I'm laughing I'm like I can't believe I'm thinking about pizza dough and then it's kind of like because pizza is such a big part of my life. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I really fucking love pizza, guys. Like, and you're just living it. And I'm living it. Like, I had I had so many people tell me they're like, I have one buddy of mine who's kind of like, hey, how's the music going? Like, what's next? Pizza. And I'm, and I'm kind of like, well, whatever I fancy, man. Like, yeah. I'm not someone like I know a lot of people are like, hey, I have to, you know, everyone's like, you have to have a plan. You got to do this. You got to aim. I'm like, you got to just do. You know how many people around me say, oh, you know, I'm doing, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I realize that if you just do, you don't have to tell people what you're going to do. Because yeah, it's, it. it's not about showing people. It's just about doing. If you want to mm. experience something, then go in and experience it. If you want it, just go and find a way to take mm. it in this world. There's a... Uh... Part of what I do for work is I get to go to events where there's there are startups and I get to see them speak and everything. And we had uh, Chris Hadfield is a Canadian astronaut, yeah. commander of the space station. Yeah, yeah. So I've seen him speak twice. One of the things he said was, it's not about what you're trying to do or what you intend to do. And I was like, where are you going with this, Chris? Really? It's not about that? And he's like, it's about the very next action that you take. Hmm. And I thought that was insightful because it's exactly what, there's a book called Getting Things Done. I can't remember the author. That's what he says in, in his process. He's like, you need to make clear the very next action because otherwise the project remains obscure and obfuscated and you don't really know what the next step is. But yeah. if you make the next action clear, less friction. Like, you, probably, you probably get so much wisdom from going to outer space. Nuts. Probably nuts. The perspective you must come home with. You know? Incredible. Well, imagine I, being like in the cosmos and you're literally like without gravity you're gonna miss gravity you're gonna miss mother nature yeah. it's like you're gonna learn earth. just how attached you are to earth and you're gonna realize holy shit my entire existence mm. is based fundamentally on what that planet yields mm. this one tiny little rock mm. has literally produced every illusion that i experience mm. on a day-to-day -day. like yeah this this fucking giant microphone that i'm holding in my hand and you know, the listeners of this podcast can't really see the physical. <laughs> it's a great microphone. It's a microphone. Yeah, we made it here. Yeah, on this it's, planet. And we are one infinitieth of the planets. I like that amount. It's yeah. insane. It's insane, right? Like what you can do on a planet. That's why I find, I find the concept of like borders mm. and countries and diff, like the fact that there's different currencies, even different languages. I get it, mm. but it's silly. The mm. fact that there's like wars between nations mm. who don't like we really need some mean aliens to show up to remind everyone that like we're all on this one team. This is our team. Human team. Yeah. I don't. I just I can't compute mm. that like humans human conflict is such a mm. dumb thing. It's the equivalent of like I was talking to a friend of mine who used to be like street related and he was telling me about like the the turfs in Montreal mm. and where people don't get along and where certain people can't go and this mm. and that and I was just like it's so crazy that these people who happen to be born 
10 minutes apart from one another, are sworn blood enemies that if they see each other, like, it's dangerous. Mm. Yet, like, what does that matter to someone in Toronto or Compton or Ethiopia, like, the other side of the world? What does this matter? Mm. What are we doing? At all. Yeah, it's a, how this long-standing beef of, like, territory is how old? 30 years? It's nothing. Somebody, I forget what I was, what content I was consuming. I think it was the Tim Ferriss podcast. He was saying uh, about meaning in his life, and somebody told him, how many Assyrians do you know? How many ancient Babylonians are you aware of? He was like, there are entire empires that have come and gone, and nobody knows a thing about them. Which is... Yeah, and yet we think, like, we think the present is what it will be, you know? Like, it's inconceivable for us to imagine what's next in society and civilization. But, like, who knows? Maybe currency goes away. Maybe democracy goes away. Maybe, like, we don't know. that We're just the newest iteration. Right. And, yes, it's gotten better each time there's a there's a new chapter Mm. but we're far from perfect we're still improving and i think people are so stuck in like this is how it is and this is how it's staying it's it's gotta change soon Mm. i I feel like we are just a another version like a i guess a more technologically developed version of our past um, in so far as the way we're structured as a society, and I see it as you've got consciousness, and then you have primal instinct. Right, we're all still fucking primates. We just have iPhones now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and we're all like everyone's trying to be mindful, and then we're still finding a way to commercialize that and make it fucking animalistic and yeah. and, and appeal to our well, money primal, everything. You know mm. what I mean? Everything's got green because even even on it. an industry like. If the if if billionaires wanted, there's no more climate change. There's no more world hunger if they wanted. But mm. it's kind of like we're all playing this game of Monopoly. And you know you know how when you play Monopoly near the end of the game, you know who won already, but you just got to play it out. That's how, where I feel like we're at. What a metaphor. And this society we live in is a game of Monopoly and the game is rigged and the game is over and the game has to change. But unfortunately, the only people that can change the game are the ones winning. And why would you do that? Yeah, no, I don't disagree with you at all. Like if you were winning, you wouldn't be like, let's change it up. You're just like, let's just keep playing this game. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to win. Let's keep going I feel around. like, I yeah, feel like I'd have, have billions. some kind of... I, I, feel like I, I bought some every kind property and I have five hotels. Right. Why would you be like, let's restart? <laughs> let's, re- no, no, let's restart for <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah. Let's be fair about this. No, you won. I'd have to like find a way, but a part of me would, would want to like live with it. You know, it's weird. It's yeah. like live with it until I know that I'm, I'm, right, I'm on my way out. And so I have all of this to give to the world. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and why, why would I want to give to the world? I kind of feel like... I I bust my ass. I worked hard. Yeah, and but there's a part of me that feels like there's something in me that knows it should be done. Is there such thing as an innocent billionaire? Innocent how? Well, I think this is my opinion that every mm. billionaire on the planet has in some way taken advantage of many people and gotten there on the hard work and labor of taking advantage of people. Hmm. Even Amazon has employees in their warehouses pissing in water bottles 
because they can't take bathroom breaks. Mm. And yet Jeff Bezos is making billions of dollars. Even the even like a uh, what's the Bill Gates like people love, but like you don't. I don't think you can get to a billion without fucking a lot of people, mm. not in the cool way. <laughs> I uh... yeah, of course I respect your opinion. I think every is hard to prove, perhaps a lot. Yeah, perhaps a lot. Because because you're saying it's such a disproportionate uneven distribution of wealth that it's like okay what where did you cheat yeah and like the majority of them were born into it yeah very often yeah very often the greatest predictor of socioeconomic status is your parents socioeconomic status yeah there's not that much transition from one level yeah. to the other right. especially skipping two levels is much less yeah there's likely. instances but it's rare definitely rare yeah. definitely i feel like rare. a big part of it is also your circumstance and and, and you know your environment and mm -hmm. where you are you know yeah. yeah i feel like that has a lot to do with where people are in certain hubs and certain communities where there's certain support systems and networks that yes and no because at the same time like to go back to the monopoly analogy mm. we're now being conscious of fair right like we're trying to be more fair than we've ever been an equal opportunity and uh giving more grants to uh like different ethnicities and stuff and uh scholarships and try mm. there's minute efforts being made to even the playing field to a degree mm. um which of course like is not a bad thing i'm all for like equality and equal opportunity however the game is still flawed. Mm. And if you're going to give someone a competitive advantage, you're going to say, okay, you have been uh, mistreated for centuries, so now you're going to get a turn, you're going to get an extra turn around the board. Mm. That's just someone else who can win. And I think as long as there's this system of winners in general, we're, we're just going to repeat the same detrimental cycle. I agree. And and Thanks. where where I was where I was going with with what I was saying, and I wanted to I wanted to make sure I got this out because I have the tendency to forget. I, if I if I take a macro look at it, the the difference between let's say someone born in the worst slum in the world, who dreams of being a Hollywood actor, but like you know you're well, they rarely even do. They don't well, think that's possible. And, and so the, there, there it is, right? Exactly what I'm saying. It's like depending on which circumstance you're given, it'll have an outcome. No matter, even if you find out about, you know, the, uh, oh, apparently, did you hear that there's a place called Hollywood and you can be an actress? All this like comedy right. that we're doing in our slum, we can go over there and do it. But there's no chance in hell that you're ever going to get out of there. And also your... Uh, like the percentage of your mind that is working towards getting there is easier when you were raised in the suburbs and don't have much to worry about. Yeah. But if you have to figure out how to eat and how to stay alive and where you're getting water from, you don't have the mental capacity to start thinking about what movies you want to make. And, and it just so happens that in a lot of these areas where people aren't even thinking about that, you know, you, you give them a, you know, you take a survey on their mental health um, and you know, Happier. people living in these small little villages yeah. who are fishing for their meals every day show lower signs of depression, yep. which makes you realize that we've developed such a, a an interesting way of living in in North America. But it doesn't necessarily 
hit home to the essence of life. And I think mm-hmm. that that's a balance that, that people are are not striking, whether they're they're just chasing fame and it's leading them to their grave and then they're getting uh, fame and then it's leading to their grave or it's people who are chasing the corporate ladder and they never see it because they die of a stress-related disease before yeah. they get there or the retirement mm. they've been waiting for and then you know they die before because of whatever or they're not healthy to see it out through and be in the top shape that they need to be to be at their prime when they're supposed to be. I find it's people not happiness. Are, yeah, yeah, I find people are just looking into the future and thinking that they have to sacrifice now for a better future without realizing that just what a simple shift in the way you see your thoughts and the way you see your circumstances, you can actually live right now like a better mm-hmm. existence just by enjoying to be. And it's a, it sounds fucking crazy and so like out there, but man, if you just take like half an hour a day to sit there and just observe your thoughts and see them as they come in and not, not say to yourself i really need to stop thinking and just clear my mind but be like well look that's an emotion like oh that's an interesting thought about that yeah. interesting why well, do i think a- that you know and just questioning you realize at one point your brain does have the control and then you end up turning off and then you realize oh this is what death must feel must feel like <laughs> pure good. nothingness holy shit Pretty this good. is really great <laughs> i can't wait, wait so then in the end of the day we, we're just going to go through this experience of life and then just end up in this state? That's not so bad. So who the fuck cares what happens to next? And well, that's when the whole sandwich theory comes in. It's like, you it's can worry theory. about it, dope name or you can theory. go make yeah. a sandwich. Yeah. Like, do or don't do. In the end of the day, you're not going to be here one day. So if it pleases mm. you now, enjoy. And that's yeah. why I'm a big believer in, like, if it ain't your bag and you're not, you're not happy and you don't like it, mm but you feel like you're trapped and you got to keep doing whatever it is you're doing, it's because you're not living the appropriate life and you got to make quick changes. And I also think you touched on something interesting that like people who live in third world countries have a lower rate of depression because there's less, there's just less in general. So there's less to stress about and worry about and all that. Whereas, like, if you live in a high-rise in Manhattan, there's a million and one things... There's a million and one perceived negative things weighing on you. And it's almost a... It's a metaphor for meditation where you were saying, like, you meditated for four hours, and then when you came out of it, you were at such a base level that any stimulant is going to be wild. Huh. And it's it's the same correlation where, like, if you come from nothing... Anything is going to be crazy. Hmm. I watched, uh, there's a great documentary on Netflix I saw recently called uh, Giants of Africa. And it's all about like teenagers in Africa going to basketball camps. And they're not good. None of them are particularly good at basketball. But it's wild to see the lives that they live in these villages all over Africa. And then they come to this camp and like, they don't even have fucking shoes and they're being given jerseys and shorts and shoes to wear. And this is like the greatest thing that they're going to wear that Jersey till they're 70 and they're sleeping in these uh, dorm rooms where it's like five, it's like five people in a dorm room sleeping on these like five foot cots and they're all seven foot five and they are over the moon. Like, oh my God, look at the Ritz Carlton we're staying in. <laughs> and it's really fucking fascinating to see like the this silly sport that they're all going to these basketball camps actually gives them hope to like go back to their village and be, they're like, you know what? 
I thought I was just going to be a random nobody that would die soon. And they're like, no, I could actually go home and be somebody and I can make a difference and I can influence and I could be a positive change in the world. Mm. Just off of like three days at a shitty basketball camp. Hmm. I think it, it all comes down to the, you know, the notion that everything's relative. Right. You know, everything's relative. And, and if you can take a moment to realize that life could be a lot more enjoyable. I think that's what we're all here to do. And, and I think once you get onto that playing field, that everything's relative, you end up you end up being able to relate to people more. And I think having that open mindedness and let, getting to that level of consciousness is the key to society. But at the same time, we're also faced with this prime, you know, this primal state which affects a lot of humans. So I think it's a matter of time because we're the most conscious we've ever been mm-hmm. uh, as a human race. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see where, uh, where this all goes. Have you heard uh, Mick's theory? I've heard theories of uh, that. <laughs> He's got Mick plenty has of theories. A few I've but heard he several. has one, uh, like I think it's called like the Council of Planets or something. Oh, I think. Is this ring? Is this a known theory? No. Okay, then I don't. I know. think it's a friend of ours who made it up. I okay. think. Where what he believes is that there are a lot of intelligent planets out there who all know each other and they get along and they share information and technology and there's this awesome community of planets out in the ethos and we aren't, we're not good enough yet. They're keeping tabs, they know about us, but we're still too... Uh, like animalistic and there's uh, pettiness and vindictiveness and there's too much negativity still but we are on we are constantly improving and getting better and better and like according to him we're close and we're going to reach a point maybe not in our lifetime but we're going to reach a point where the the planet is getting better by the day Mm. and they're going to show up one day and be like you guys are good you guys are in welcome yeah Yeah. (laughs) not a bad i i've got two Two uh, two things. One is, do you believe in aliens? But two, um, and it pains me to go back to an earlier part of the conversation. But is there a better way to organize? Is there what could we do to better organize society? I feel as though that there there. So let's say we restart the monopoly game. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't someone win again? Yeah, it depends on the game. Like as long as there's industry, yes. So like we current we we live our lives based on money everything's money related whether you do or don't right. you do which is what we use for trade yeah but it, it was it was supposed to be a measure of currency for trade mm-hmm. and it ended up becoming the be all end all goal to win with also also because of i mean we've talked a, a good amount about emotions on the podcast too we we tie a lot of emotions to money right and i think that if that can somehow be rewired mm which is doable, yeah. if money becomes a thing, it's a means to an end, but it's not the end. Um, mm. Like, I think people that's need good, to learn to value happiness good. more, oh, value yeah. their b- being a... a in, like, no one... There's not a person on the planet who needs to be a millionaire. I mean, I hate to say it. Mm. As much as I, like, I agree with, with both of what, like, what you're saying and what you're saying, like, a hundred percent. The reality, at least the way I see it, based on where we're going as a world, is that there's just not enough space. Yeah, that's another problem. To me, it's like kind of like, yeah, okay, well, we can get to that level of consciousness where the aliens come in. And we're like, yo, you're all good. It's like, okay, can you take us now? Because like we're really crammed in here. Yeah, it's now it's like we're just too many people, and like this yeah. planet's about to erupt because like this much. water has been recycled for thousands of years, and it's like we just keep shitting in it. 
and like <laughs> a lot of us are dying and we're coming up with medicine that keeps killing us um and then there's people who think that you know you can do other things and and it, i mean that works for them it doesn't always work like what the fuck are we doing yeah like we're making all this technology but you know we're, we're running out of space can you take us to another planet yeah. maybe they'll come and say like yeah actually you can time travel and like this is an infinite universe and you can go to anywhere you want <laughs> and like when you look at these gurus who are like very meditative who will who will literally transcend the cosmos through their meditation you know that that's a reality that they're creating in their mind to experience and i kind of feel like humans this is this is an experience that we're having you like know? a simulation love that theory as well I, yeah i feel like it, it like it is a simulation <clears throat> of energy manifesting in a physical form for a, a, a designated period of time that only exists in this earth mm. like time is only relevant really here and outside of the universe outside of the planet it's just this infinite space where there is no construction at all yeah. where gravity isn't a question where time is not a question it is huh. just infinity it's just like it, there's no which our end. brains can't comprehend because yeah. because yeah. we're on the globe we are created by the globe and this is the way the globe makes uh. us function it is functioning by season it is functioning through time that's how we able to structure our life in accordance with it and like every planet it gets older and older and eventually we'll be like the plague and we'll be all over this fucking planet you know well, we already are yeah, yeah sucking the resources yeah. out of it where it can no longer go on and something's gonna happen where we're gonna have to wipe ourselves out yeah bill burr has a great bit about that where he's like you want to fix the planet get rid of 80 percent there should be a there should be a test where you gather everyone and they hand out a test if you didn't bring a print if you didn't bring a pencil you're already out <laughs> <laughs> The, yeah, uh, the expansion thing though. There's other organisms that do it too. Ants are pretty common of doing. It. There's like this whole thing about ants taking over the goddamn world. Really? And there's wa ant wars, and they huh. take over. They desiccate, desiccate, decimate the the environment in one country, and then they move to another country, and they decimate wow. the environment there, and they take it away there. So yeah. there's a few other. There's a name for organisms that have certain higher order abilities that humans exhibit as well. Something. Um, one of the behaviors is displaying altruism humans display that and the other ones that do it uh termites bumblebees ants and another one there's four or five uh, and one of the other things that these uh, organisms do i think is is take over places but I, I could be missing some details on that what i wanted to point out on your time thing I was listening to sapiens today by yuval noah harari and the note i took was that apparently in the 1850s in the uk there was time differences. Uh, they they all had different times, which made train times and trade extremely difficult because it was up to a 30 to 45 minute time difference from one city to the other. So you would take the train and arrive somewhere else and it was just a different time. And then he went back further in time and he said there were entire medieval empires and no one had any clue yeah. what time it is at all. Just things you that. just wake up and things would happen and you go to bed and things would happen and you would just everything would be approximate. And there's some places in the world where like it's just bright or dark all the time. Yeah. What does it matter if it's nighttime? I guess it doesn't. Do you feel sad? I feel sad with all darkness though. Yeah, it's tough. Because we need that vitamin need D. The vitamin know? D. I kind of feel like not only do we have like this type of weather that affects us, we also have a different way of looking at life that affects us. Mm. Like our just our structure and the way we think, you know. And like I, I was on vacation in France, and 
I was, you know, mingling with, with locals and my family were out and talking to, you know, waiters at restaurants that we were going to and we're talking to them about being, you know, from Montreal and they're talking about their experiences. And I've noticed that it's like they're human, we're human, you know, we're all pretty much the same, but they just have a different way of looking at their day to day. And mm -hmm. it's like what they define as like a good life is, is different. And, what, yeah. you know, like, like I was in France and I was like appalled by the fact that everyone was smoking. I was like, <laughs> how are so many people smoking? Why are they eating so much cheese? Like, what the fuck's going on? Yeah. And then I realized it's like, for them, like, That's they life. think of it differently. Mm. Like, they're living on a different wavelength, man. Like, they drink wine at lunch. Like, that that mm. doesn't really happen here. I mean, uh, you, it does happen <laughs> well, here. It does, it does happen here, but it's frowned upon. You should upon. go to lunch more. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it does happen here, but it's frowned upon to be drinking a lot yeah. on lunch. And over there, it's like you'd have your, you know, your glass of wine with lunch. And it's very common and expected. And, and you know, taking more vacations. and mm -hmm. like. I read a study today that... Um, Companies that don't abide by a forty-hour work week are infinitely more productive. That's if they're a, just like, good, here's what infinite you, is a good multiple. Yeah, <laughs> but if they're just like, here's here's what you have to do, get it done. Time, yeah. Doesn't like as someone who works freelance, I find that's my my least favorite is when a when a client is like, um, how do you typically work? Like, what's your hourly rate? And I hate working hourly because I'm good at what I do, so I don't want to. Like someone bad is going to take six hours. It's going to take me two hours. I shouldn't be penalized for that. Right. Right. So do you, do you skip over I tell them the like, project? I, this is, this a, is what it costs project. for it. And it might, like I might tell them a price that I thought it was four hours and it ends up being 12 for me. That's my mistake. Right. But it should be based on the uh, completion. Yeah. If I was, if I had like a, to say how it should be from like a, you know, work perspective in, in society, I would make it that, you know, an hour lunch is a standard mandatory for any job that you're in. Like, you know, within like, let's call it the, the general business the setting. Workforce. Yeah, the yeah. workforce, right? It's like an hour lunch. Um, you know, you do whatever you want, but it is, you can't expect anyone to work more than nine to five with that hour lunch and they work four days of the week and then the fifth day you know they they have off and they can work half a day you know right. it's like but you get people once you that start once you start messing with that and just making amendments to the norm no matter what it is the people in charge paying the salaries and the and paying everyone is just gonna figure out a way to milk as much as they can hmm. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. And the reason why I was bringing it up was because I had seen an article on LinkedIn. I believe, I don't want to be mistaken, but I believe it was a company, I think it was Microsoft. I can't be certain. A company that big tried for a period of time, a four-day work week, and they saw an unbelievable um, yeah, I think increase. Google. Yeah, one of these companies did it, yeah. and they saw an amazing increase in output. And so, Microsoft, you know, Microsoft, possibly. And my, anyways, yeah, my, continue. my, my point is, I, 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 I. Fuck. Hold on. <laughs> Do you hear me? Okay, good. No, I just had a little microphone cut. You good? I would, yeah, I would go. I would make it so that people work four days a week. They work from nine to five, an hour lunch. You're only supposed to be in the office to do what you need to be doing in the office. Mm. Right? Like you have deliverables. Everyone has deliverables. You have deliverables. I have deliverables. 
You got to get those done. Deliver them. But you exactly. only have to be in the office. That's required. And you can't be in the office past five or before nine. But if you get those done, can you go home at like two? I would like that, yeah. If your deliverables are on, you can go, you know, yeah. you can go but, home for two. But the company but that's could why jobs say, like to be like, yeah, if you get it done, go on to the next thing. Now yeah. we're really getting our money's worth. Exactly. Because we have you yeah. till five. Exactly. It was originally from an, an industrial um, economic system where people had to work on assembly lines. But it, I hope it becomes perhaps less and less relevant. There's more and more trust in the worker that they're going to actually still be efficient and effective. They'll be more rested. They'll be more positive. Yeah. Maybe there'll be more economic growth. That way, both sides right now are so thinking so wrong mm. that the the worker is just as soon as I can get home and get out of here and yeah, clock a, out. That's a rough mentality. And the boss is just how much can I get out also of this person? A bad mentality. Yeah, it's it's detrimental in both ways. If it if it's really in in the cases where it's really like that, it's it's hard to work with. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult, guys. I'm extremely grateful for this and really really enjoy it it's very meaningful i have to go to bed yeah do you have to, does anyone else have to sleep tonight i i, I will I eventually sleep. i will eventually go to sleep yeah. um at some point i soon. have one last story for you Please. you said you said I a love story that i haven't told i thought of one oh shit okay you, i've told it probably before but it's a good one okay you mentioned before tim ferris yeah when we were doing epic mealtime in la we did uh this show called epic chef we did like, I think, 10 episodes of it where it was like a chopped style cooking show, but with like ridiculous ingredients. And every episode would have guest judges. Hmm. And one day production was super behind. We were like three hours behind schedule and our judges were already there. Then we didn't want to just like leave them. So the producers were like, Tyler, uh, can you just take this guy out for lunch and like entertain him? And I had no idea wow. who this guy is. So wow. I was just like, yeah, sure. I'll go out with this dude. Sure. And I go out for lunch <laughs> with this guy and we had like a three hour conversation. Really? And I come back to set and I was talking to my friends and I was like, man, that guy's fucking awesome. Like, what's that guy's deal? He was fucking amazing to talk to. And they were like, yeah, that's Tim Ferriss. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then I read all his books after meeting oh him. Oh, my God. I had no clue who he was. No clue. Three hour lunch with him. Had no idea. Great lunch. Great lunch. Brilliant guy. Awesome to talk to. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's dope. Yeah. Been following him for a long time. Good story, man. Yeah. Okay, we'll end it there. Ty, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Where can everyone go to learn more about you or see more about your stuff? Uh, I ha- I am at T Lemco, T-L-E-M-C-O on all social media platforms. And you could check out my art at drlemco.myshopify.com. Yes. My website tlem.co. And uh, search me on Pornhub. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> That's it for this episode. If you like the podcast, please share it with a friend. You can reach out on Instagram at John Wade Co. That's John Wade C-O. Or visit the website, johnwade.co. Thank you, everyone, and we will see you next time.